my text, verses 1 through 29. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were Again inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus, but do not know the evidence for the resurrection. If we took the eyewitnesses of Jesus's resurrection and filled up this sanctuary, we could do that. We'd have to empty it out and fill it up again. On one occasion, over 500 people saw Jesus alive, plus many others. The risen Christ was present to them. They made real contact. So there is a body of evidence that proves the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this evidence would stand up in any court. So the resurrection has credibility. Now, many refuse to investigate that evidence. And there's not much I can say to them other than reaffirm the resurrection has credibility. But I want us to focus on something else this morning, not so much the credibility of the resurrection, but it's livability. The stuff that life is made of. Jesus said, because I live, you too will live. And Jesus didn't say, because I live, someday you'll go to heaven, though that's true. But he's saying, because I live, I can touch you right now where you live. This morning, I want to highlight three encounters Jesus had with people after his resurrection. We're going to see three specific spiritual and emotional issues that Jesus addressed that are common to the human experience. Grief, guilt, and doubt. And these three are valid struggles that we all have. In each encounter, we're going to see the power of the resurrection to change their lives. The first is Mary and it's grief. This was the very first encounter Jesus had with someone after his resurrection, and it was Mary Magdalene. She was weeping at his tomb, weeping because she presumed his body had been stolen. She was with a group of other women who returned to the tomb to anoint Jesus's burial with spite, Jesus's body with spices. At the end of John 18, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put Jesus's body in Joseph's tomb and rolled a stone into place. But when Mary arrived, the stone had been rolled away. The soldiers who had been guarding the tomb since Saturday, the day before, were gone and two angels were there. As Mary looked around, she wept because Jesus's body wasn't there. And then she heard a voice. She turned, thinking it was the gardener, but it was Jesus. And he called out her name, Mary. She recognized that it was Jesus. And she ran to him and gripped him in an embrace and clung to his feet. Now, let's take a moment and talk about that embrace for a most practical reason. If a family member or good friend had been dead and you then saw them alive, wouldn't you do the same thing as Mary run in shock and embrace them? This woman who had once been tormented by seven demons, but Jesus had cast them out, was now free. She was 
joyful and excited. And Jesus had changed her life. So she was so elated to see him. She couldn't believe it. But that embrace has led to some crazy assumptions. If I ask you and definitely ask people out on the street who know a little bit about Mary and the story of Jesus, many people, including Christians, would say yes to some of these questions. That she was beautiful. That she had long hair. That she was a former prostitute. Possibly Jesus' girlfriend. Maybe they had some kind of a relationship. Maybe they were married. That's the image that there are people out in the world have. And sadly, you may have that as well. But not one of those things that I just mentioned can be found in the Bible. It's all folklore. It's not fact. It's come from movies and books. The fact is, when Mary is mentioned, it's usually with a group of other women. Older women, usually. This was the support group that traveled with Jesus and his disciples, ministering to their needs. And most of these women were mothers. Jesus's mother, Mary, was part of that group. The mother of James and John. The mother of James and Joseph. Salome, Susanna, and Joanna, who was married. So Mary Magdalene was probably an older woman, too. And just because she was demon-possessed doesn't make her a prostitute. And it doesn't imply that she was somehow young and beautiful. I believe, my personal opinion, she was a mature, older woman. So she embraced Jesus and was thrilled to see him alive. I know she was shocked and so happy. And how Jesus responded to her and what he said has also led to some misunderstanding. He didn't say, don't touch me, as if to imply, we've got to stop meeting like this. Or, don't touch me because you'll defile me. A week later, he's going to tell Thomas to touch me, touch my hands inside. What he's saying to her is, stop clinging to me, stop detaining me. Mary wanted to hold on to him and hold on to the past. He wants to comfort her and reassure her, but he must leave her. He's not going back to the grave. He's going on to glory. He's going to ascend to his father. Plus, she couldn't detain him because he had an assignment for her. She was to go and tell the disciples that he had risen. Do you guys understand that the first evangelist of the church was this woman, Mary? When you're grieving... It's hard to make good decisions. You wonder, will I ever be happy again? So Jesus is saying to her and to you today, if you're grieving, I've risen from the dead. The power is in me so you can overcome your grief. I will heal the pain and ache of your personal experience, whether it was long ago or recently. I, I've risen from the dead, not simply to comfort you, but also to transform you. And the Bible in the book of Ephesians says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The Lord severs the power of sin that binds you to your past and delivers you. So don't cling to past griefs or regrets. Reach out today to the hand of Jesus. Reach out your hand to him as he's reaching back to you. Say, I receive your conquest over my past grief and sorrow today. The second person 
that Jesus encounters after his resurrection that we're going to look at is Peter and his guilt. Jesus told Mary, go tell my disciples that I've risen. And in Mark's gospel account, he adds, and Peter. That's in Mark 16, 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Especially Peter. He's singled out by Jesus in Mark's account. Because Jesus knew he needed reassured the most. Peter's a remarkable man. He's an incredible leader. He's strong. He's courageous. Nothing wimpy about him at all. He's struggling at this point in the gospel story, but not because he's weak. He's strong, but he is encountering the limitations of his own strength. He's coming to terms with something beyond his ability to understand and control. And perhaps you're like Peter. You're strong, but deep down, not as strong as you appear to others. You stumble and mess up at times. You sometimes say the wrong thing. But no one else really knows what's going on inside of you, but you know. Peter met Jesus when he was a fisherman in Galilee. And not the kind of fishing we think of. We picture someone sitting in a rowboat out in the middle of a pond, looking at a bobber that's floating out there, hoping a bluegill will pull that bobber under the water. That's not the kind of fishing Peter did. He threw large nets and navigated rough waters. He was a man's man in every sense of the word. And he had been following Jesus now for over three years. The night before, he heard Jesus say, all of you will forsake me. Impetuous as always, he blurted out, though everyone in this room forsakes you, I never will. And then Jesus said, before the rooster announces the new day, you'll pretend that you never met me. Wow, what a stab to his heart. It crushed him. How could this be? But it came to pass exactly as Jesus predicted. He denied him. He denied him three times. And most people are familiar with Peter's three denials. But why don't we look at what Peter did right before those denials? Judas and some soldiers from the high priest came to the garden and arrested Jesus. Peter was the first to step up and try to stop them. He pulled a sword and swung it at the head of the first man who happened to be Malchus, who ducked and still lost an ear. Peter was very courageous, you might say, to take on those soldiers, but he was also very reckless. What if all those soldiers would have killed the disciples and killed Jesus in the garden. Jesus healed Malchus and told Peter to put away your sword, for those who take the sword will die by it. It's not God's plan for you to defend me by violence. Then the disciples scattered. They ran away, not because they were cowards, but because they were scared. This was a tough moment. And while they all hid, Peter followed at a distance to see where they were taking Jesus and John come along. He came along, too. So don't forget how brave Peter is trying to be. He's doing the best he can. He wants to stick with Jesus no matter what. So he gets to the courtyard of the high priest's house and inside the trial of Jesus had begun. He stood outside by the fire 
And a servant girl came to him and said, I've seen you with this man. You're one of his followers, aren't you? And he said, you must be mistaken. I have a thought about that first denial. I don't think it was the denial of a coward. He doesn't want to fail. He's trying to do the best he can. I think he may have been thinking, I mustn't blow my cover. If no one recognizes me, maybe I'll be able to help Jesus. But then we come to the second and third denials, and I think it's different. Again, he's warming his hands by the fire, and some men say, You're one of his followers, aren't you? You're a Galilean. I can tell by your accent. And he swears he's not. He calls down curses on himself. He's becoming afraid. His soul is sinking into despair. And then the rooster crows, announcing the new day, and he remembers Jesus' words. And at that very moment, Jesus walks out of the high priest's house and is led away and looks over at Peter with that glance. And he's filled with shame for what he's done. It says he turned and he ran down the pre-dawn streets of Jerusalem, weeping bitterly. So, when Mary tells, or when Jesus tells Mary, go tell my disciples and Peter, especially tell Peter, we know why. It's to encourage him. He's crushed by his failure. He doubts at that moment he'll ever find his way again. He's made so many promises. He's violated Jesus' trust. He's consumed with guilt and shame. It isn't just women who weep. Men weep, too. And it isn't just men who deny Christ. Women do, too. But gender isn't the point. Guilt and shame are part of the human experience for all of us. For all of us have sinned against Jesus. All of us have done what is wrong. And we need Jesus' resurrection. Yes, the resurrection has credibility. There's evidence for it. All those eyewitnesses. But it has livability. It can help us where we're at. And this resurrection shows us that when we look at Peter's experience. So the Bible records later in John 21 that Jesus went looking for Peter and he found him because he wanted to tell him, I forgive you. The resurrection means forgiveness for our failures. And then he still has a work for Peter to do. That's encouraging. He wasn't finished with him yet. I know that gave Peter hope that he could be used again. Trusted again. And so can you. I'm sure this morning there are people on every point on the spiritual spectrum. And the Lord would say to you today, I'm alive and you're forgiven. He understands your pain and guilt and shame. He gets you. Stop living in sin and failure. Reach out to Jesus. His hand is reaching out to you today. And he'll even use you. In his kingdom's work. The third person we encounter in the story that I read is Thomas and doubt. Now, Thomas has a biblical nickname, and it's not what you think. It's Didymus. That means twin. Now, we know twins are always together. Now, we don't know if Thomas's twin was a follower of Jesus or not. There's no mention of that. But Thomas has another nickname given by Christians over the years, which we're all very familiar with. Doubting Thomas. 
And you know what? I think that's unfortunate. I think rather he's more of a realist, a hard nosed pragmatist than just a doubter. On one occasion, Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples knew how dangerous that was. They said to him, the last time we went there, they tried to stone you. And the other disciples were trying to dissuade Jesus. But Thomas said, let's go with him and die. What a fun guy. Hmm. Thomas is serious. He's more than a doubter. He's a true believer. He possessed courage and loyalty to Jesus. On another occasion, we see a different facet of Thomas's realism. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about going away from his disciples and going to heaven. And Thomas bursts in. You say that we can't go with you, yet we know the way. I don't know where you're going. Tell me plainly. Now, I think most of us, if we were part of that conversation, we would probably just nod our heads. Yes. Okay. I maybe later someday I'll understand this. But that's not Thomas. That's not his personality. He wanted Jesus to make it clear then and there to him. Nothing fuzzy at all for this realist. Now, Thomas wasn't present that first Easter evening when the ten were huddled together out of fear of the religious elites. And that fear was justified. Word was getting around that the tomb was empty and these religious elites would be looking for the followers of Jesus to explain this or to produce the body. They could have been killed to keep them quiet. So the room was locked and and the windows were shuttered. Jesus, unlimited by time and space, entered the room, not as a ghost, though they thought he was. He had a body, a resurrected body. He said, don't be afraid. Touch me. I'm not a ghost. And he ate with them. This isn't something spooky. It's something transcendent. He is now the risen Lord. But Thomas was absent. Why? Well, the text doesn't tell us. Maybe he was a loner. Like a wild animal that goes off by itself to die alone. Thomas was having a crisis of faith, just like Peter had a crisis of faith. But it's a real mistake when you're having a crisis of faith or or when you're doubting your faith to be alone. That's when you need other believers. So he missed out on seeing Jesus. His disciple friends told him, we saw Jesus. But he doubted. Can't you hear him? Wait a minute. I saw what happened. Jesus was scourged and then crucified. His side was pierced. He was placed in a tomb. He was dead. So unless I can actually touch it with my hands, I won't believe. And there was nothing his ten closest friends could say to convince him otherwise. He was a realist. A week passed and his disciples gathered again. And this time Thomas was with them and Jesus appeared to them. In verse 27 of the text, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Our realist just met the ultimate pragmatist. Jesus is very practical. He's not afraid of our doubts. He'll answer them. You may be thinking, 
Christianity has some strange doctrines that you have to believe in. Is Jesus some kind of mystical poet? You feel like you need a practical word from God. Well, Jesus' word to Thomas is about as practical as it gets. Stick your finger in the holes in my side and hands. Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts or your questions or your realism. He'll answer your doubts if you'll give him a chance. I would encourage you today, if you're searching, keep searching. Don't give up. Thomas exclaimed in verse 28, my Lord and my God. That's a very personal discovery. And it's one of the best statements of Jesus's divinity in the whole Bible. And this from a so-called doubter. That doesn't sound like doubt to me. And notice he said the word my, my Lord, my God. Very personal. You have to personalize it. Yes, Jesus is alive and he wants to make himself real to you. And there's tons of evidence that verifies that. But you have to come to a place where it's real to you. You have to personalize it. You have to experience it. As Jesus said earlier in John's gospel, you must be born again. It's not just true facts in history, though it is. It has to become true for you. So Jesus reached out to three people that Easter. Mary, to comfort her in her grief. Peter, to reassure him of forgiveness of his guilt. And Thomas, the faith to believe in spite of his doubts. Today, I want to invite you to take the hand of Jesus, to reach out your hand. His hand will reach back to yours, and it's nail-scarred. I would ask you to tell him, I believe in you, Jesus, and I want everything that you have for me. So maybe that's where you're at today, and we'll pray for you in a moment. Or maybe today you're grieving. I would pray that you would find Christ as comforter for you in your grief and pain, that he'll give you hope. And maybe you feel a lot of shame for your past, for sin. You're riddled with guilt. I would pray that you would find forgiveness today and joy. Or maybe you have doubts that it's all true. You're just really not sure. I would pray for you that you would believe. And taking that step of faith and belief that Jesus would show you who he is, and that he's real. I want to pray for you now. First of all, I want to pray for those who maybe are ready this morning to make a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. You've never done that before, but you just feel right now the Holy Spirit just tugging on your heart, saying, yeah, I'm ready. I want to make a commitment in my life to Christ. So if everyone's head is bowed and your eyes are closed and we're praying now, if you just slip up your hand quickly and quietly, I would just like to pray for you. I, I want to have this personal relationship with Jesus as my Savior and Lord. If anyone needs to make that commitment this morning, just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Lord, I also want to pray for people in this room this morning that maybe are grieving a loss. It just seems more than they can bear that you would come alongside of them and wrap your arms around them, your arms of love, and give them your peace. For those who have guilt and shame from something in the past, something that they've done 
something that they feel like they've been put on the shelf. They could never be used again. Maybe never, ever forgiven that you would reassure them that you died on the cross for every sin and you will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Forgive them today. Give them that peace. And Lord, for any struggling with doubts, they're just not sure. They're still seeking. Lord, I pray that you will, these days and weeks and months ahead, continue to make yourself real to them. Show them through circumstances, through your word and through other people, that you are alive and you love them and you do have a plan for their life. Lord, I pray that you will do a good work in every heart today as we celebrate your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.